I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome into the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's powered by KSLSports.com. I'm your host and Utes insider, Trevor Allen. Big news coming down on Thursday as the University of Utah Athletic Department will reopen the athletic facilities of six phases uh, beginning June 15th with in-state athletes for football, men's basketball, women's basketball, gymnastics, volleyball, and soccer. And there's a whole lot of structure to this. And... So what happened was the media was on a Zoom conference call with Utah AD Mark Harlan, Deputy AD Kyle Brennan, the uh, head trainer for Utah, Trevor Jamison, and the head team physician, who's also a member of the Pac-12 COVID-19 Medical Advisory Committee, Dr. David Petron, addressed the media talking about the phases of this process. Thank you, Paul. Uh, appreciate you. I also want to thank uh, all the members of the media that are taking a few minutes uh, today. Um, appreciate uh, your interest in our program as always. I thought what I'd do before I turn it over to Trevor and certainly Dr. Petron and Kyle is just kind of set the stage for where the athletic program is right now. Traditionally, when school ends in May uh, and the summer begins, that, that on any typical year, that begins our summer volunteer uh, workout program. And if it was last summer, for example, many of our student athletes would be here, they'd be enrolled in summer session one, and they'd be utilizing the facilities uh, all over uh, in our athletic campus region to work out strictly on their own accord uh, without their coaches present. So as we have now, uh, you know, fast forward to this year, we're, we're now in that period and pursuant to the NCAA's allowance of reopening athletic facilities as of June 1, and in following the guidelines of the Pac-12 conference, June 15th uh, being the first day allowable, Utah will begin the process of reopening our facilities and having our student athletes in phases that will be described shortly uh, return to, the, to this voluntary uh, session. So again, it, it's, it, it will eventually fall similar to what we've seen in prior summers. So none of this today is revolving around any team practices 
or any type of organized activity with their coaches. This is solely activity on their own, as many of them continue with their online academic classes that they're currently enrolled in. This whole process has been incredibly collaborative. Uh, we've had an unbelievable uh, reopening team led by Deputy Athletic Director Kyle Brennan and with the incredible service of Dr. Petron, our fabulous team physician, and certainly Trevor Jamison, our head athlete, excuse me, our head athletic trainer. We've also been working very collaboratively with the Pac-12 and their medical group, which Dr. Petron will describe shortly. And we've also been working with our students along the way. Many of our students are anxious uh, to come back and, and work out in, in these incredible facilities that we're blessed to have. And of course, our obligation is to do it in the safest possible manner. Uh, and that's what we, we plan to do. So without further ado, I'm gonna go ahead and, and turn the, the program over to Dr. Petron, who will offer some comments and then we'll get into a quick slide uh, slide presentation. Doctor? Thanks, Mark. Trevor, uh, you wanna put on the first slide? Yep. I'd like to just give an overview of how we got to this point, and then I'll turn it over to Trevor to go through some of the specifics. But um, Mark's right, it has been a collaborative effort, not only at the University of Utah, but within the athletic department or within the uh, Pac-12. We've had representation from every team in the Pac-12, and this has gone through the Student Athlete Health and Wellbeing Board, as well as the COVID-19 Task Force. and. There's been uh, a lot of input from a number of experts, including infectious disease experts, to get to this point. Keep in mind that every uh, the number one thing is our guiding principle is the health and safety of student athletes and staff. And everything that we do, the protocols that are created are in accordance with the state and federal NCAA and Pac-12 guidelines. Um, also keep in mind that this is a fluid document and what we say today is could change at any point as we gather new information, emerging evidence um, and experience that we gain um, through the, uh, and more evidence from the public health department. Also keep in mind that we've worked closely with our local health department to come up with this plan. And um, wanna thank Angela Dunn, who's been a valuable resource. Spoke to her last night, gave the final details of the plan and she feels like it's a very good plan, very reasonable plan. Um, part of what um, we do is really de dependent upon the institutional leadership. So we must operate in accordance with the local and state public officials with regard to return to campus, return to practice and return to competition. And in the end, the institutional and government leadership will determine who can participate in, assist with and watch student athletes practice and, and um, competition. All of our athletes, when they return, will be tested. Everything that we do will be on a volunteer basis. So they will get PCR testing as well as antibody testing. And this is not unprecedented as these are essentially asymptomatic athletes that are being tested. And some of this is being done around the state already where you have targeted asymptomatic testing um, for populations that can't socially isolate. So there's been instances where the state has tested, oh, say large businesses that can't socially isolate so that uh, they can return to work in a, in a safe manner. And that's the whole idea that we want here when we test asymptomatic athletes, we think it makes our community and our campus healthier as a whole. 
So if we can know who might have the virus, who may have been um, had the virus in the past, um, we think it just helps the um, entire campus. All of the protocols that we follow right now, again, may change as things go on. So our main goals will be to create a safe and manageable return group of students, athletes, and staff. Um, we'll decentralize potential areas of congestion and cross-contamination amongst team and student athletes. And what that means is these athletes will have appointments to use the facilities so that we don't have one team crossing over with another team that we can keep um, the appropriate separation. We'll have temperature checks and, and uh, daily symptom questionnaires. We'll have hand sanitizers in all the facilities in multiple areas. We'll have spacing during workouts. Um, and they'll take these assessments and these temperature checks on a daily basis. We, we want to create a contact tracing system within the department that allows us to um, follow the athletes on a day-to-day -day basis. And they'll have an electronic questionnaire that they'll fill out on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, so that's kind of just the overview. And then um, Trevor, our Director of Athletic Training, will go over some of the uh, specifics. Trevor? So as we uh, put this plan together and we're looking at um, phasing in our student athletes, um, the, the obvious question becomes why are we phasing this in? How are we doing this? And to, to start to understand that, we need to talk about low risk versus high risk exposure. A low risk exposure is defined as being within six feet uh, of someone who is infected with COVID for less than three minutes. Um, no physical contact. Maybe you're working in a group with someone, but as long as you're maintaining that distance and so forth, you're okay. So if we have a, a low risk um, situation or exposure, the symptomatic person will be removed from the rest of the group, but the rest of the group will be able to continue to work as we continue to monitor their symptoms on a daily basis. A high risk exposure is going to be something where there's contact, um, again, less than six feet, but maybe greater than three minutes. Uh, maybe there's direct exposure, an example is being coughed on, or there's physical contact, uh, something like sharing uh, equipment like a ball um, would increase a high-risk uh, exposure incident. If we have a high-risk exposure incident, obviously the person who's symptomatic will be self-isolated, as will the rest of the group, and all will undergo contract tracing um, and testing in that group. So as we, as we define those two things, we are trying to create a, self -envir a, a safe environment, and we want to try to create only low-risk exposures or less as we return these uh, student-athletes back to our facilities. So a lot of the things that we have in place as far as working groups and times and schedules that, that Dr. Petron alluded to are to help create low-risk exposures or no risk. Um, this is important because it's going to help us to establish a baseline with our department and as these kids return. It also prepares manageable working groups that we can maintain these exposure levels. When we do have a COVID-19 positive test, we have groups that uh, we can pull this person out of and not have um, mass exposures. Another important thing is we're hoping it will establish a culture of compliance and social awareness because this is really the long-term benefit and the long-term solution 
is to is to practice good um, cultural awareness and hygiene practices and those things not only here in our facilities but out in the community. After about 14 days of people being together as we watch these groups work and we have good compliance and good outcomes, we can start to allow um, them to get back to more of their regular practice, which might include some high-risk activities. Um, so as far as the phase, and we'd like to turn it over to Kyle Brennan, who will run through this um, phased-in chart and kind of explain um, the phase back. All right, thank you, Trevor, and uh, thank you, Dr. Pichon. Um, it's always it's it's a pleasure to work with you guys. Those both of them have been with us for for a very long time. Uh, Trevor, all the way back to Majerus. So, uh, got great people working on this, and we're excited to, uh, for the opportunity to get our student athletes back here working out. So, um, as you can see from this chart, uh, we would start back on June 15, and the sports that we would uh, welcome back are football, men's basketball, women's basketball gymnastics, volleyball, and soccer. And as Trevor has mentioned, it's gonna be a phased in approach that will occur over three weeks uh, with, that, with those sports. Uh, first, we'll start with in-state returning student athletes, have them come up to the facilities, get uh, checked, do all those things that Trevor talked about. Um, then we'll go to out-of-state uh, returning student athletes, and then we'll finish off with all of our new athletes. I just wanna make a note here that this is all housing dependent. so. We're tracking where our student athletes live and who they're living with, and making sure that they're in a safe place and not uh, crashing on a friend's couch. So we got to make sure that uh, our student athletes are in a safe place uh, to live um, for this to for this to work. And then we move uh, from those from those sports that we talked about to a, a look-in period on June 29th. And on June 29th, we're going to look at the first three phases that we had and evaluate how it went. And if our student athletes are safe and uh, we've had a, a, a good experience, then we would move on to phasing in the other sports, which would be similar, having in-state uh, kids return week one, out-of-state week two, and then the remaining athletes on week three. And uh, at the very end, August 24th is when we get back for the fall. And so we'll bring all of the student athletes back at that time uh, who may not have come back for voluntary workouts and we'll be back ready to go and compete in the fall. All right, so thanks, Kyle. Um, so what's going to be expected when they return for these uh, phase-in dates? The first thing that we're obviously we're going to do, like we do every year, is we do our, our physicals. Some additions to this this year, obviously, we're, we have a COVID re a screening form that just gives us some detail of kind of where they've been, what their interactions have been over the last couple months, just to help us uh, understand a little bit. And as Dr. Petron alluded to, we will do antibody testing and we will do a COVID test for all of our student athletes to get a baseline and, and to look at what's going on with things. Um, also, uh, we will be testing staff and initially it will be the staff that are um, involved with the training of our student athletes. Want to talk a little bit about the symptom check-in um, point on campus. We, we'll have one at uh, both of the facilities that we're going to be using. And uh, the student athlete will arrive and uh, will answer some questions, get a temperature check. We are um, going to use an electronic survey to help streamline the questioning. Um, once they get through the, the questions and the check, then they'll get a wristband that will allow them to go into the facilities. And we are going to be escorting these kids in groups to their facilities. And again, we're trying to uh, limit 
the crossover uh, between all of our athletes. And so with the sports that were listed, they're all going to have their own satellite weight rooms uh, in conjunction with their playing facilities so that we don't have any crossover between all of these groups. And all of these things will be by appointment. And so when they show up, they'll show up at their right time. They'll be escorted to the right place and that will help reduce an exposure. And so if somebody comes at the wrong time, um, they're not going to be allowed to come in until um, their time is up. The last slide that we'd like to share with you is uh, just to help answer a question about what happens when we have someone who's sick. What the student athletes are instructed to do is they do not come to the facility. They call their athletic trainer, let them know what's going on. The athletic trainer will consult with the physician. And um, then at that point, if it's felt that uh, they need to be tested for COVID-19, they'll be sent for testing and isolation. Then at that point, we're obviously going to look back at our, our contact chasing, talk with our student athlete, and anyone who may have been involved in a high-risk exposure, um, we will follow up with. And just to kind of give you an idea of, of what it what happens with high-risk exposures is that necessitates self-isolation or quarantine at home for 14 days. Or what we can do with testing is shorten that time period um, by having them self-isolate test on day three and five. If both of those tests are negative, then we'd consider them negative for COVID and they can return to activity. That's all I got. Thank you very much. Uh, before we go to the Q&A portion, Mark, did you have any transitionary comments here? I would just add that my appreciation for this incredible team that has been working for quite some time to, to get us to this point. We all uh, very much miss our student athletes. Um, we're excited, as I said in my earlier comments, to have them back. Um, and you can imagine that, that uh, our number one priority will be their safety. And so we're, we're uh, very confident with our plan. We're most confident with the people involved with the plan. So our decision-making uh, has been and will continue to, to come from this group. I also want to again stress that the PAC-12 um, has been uh, a big partner in all of this, including uh, not only the, the PAC-12 council, but also the PAC-12 student reps uh, representing the various different schools, um, particularly as it came to the pandemic policy and, and having June 15th the availability for each school that can to do that. So. Appreciate everybody's time on this today, but certainly here to answer any questions. I had just had a question. How how much of what you guys have done falls in line with what the Pac-12 does in terms of the timelines and everything? I know you've talked with them and everything, but does this timeline fit well with maybe what other athletic departments are doing around the conference? Well, Josh, in terms of, of the, the timeline, you know, I can't speak specifically to what other schools are doing, if they're going to start on June 15th or, or later. Um, so I'm, I'm not exactly attuned to speaking to that specifically, but I will say that the thoughtfulness of all our member institutions uh, has been pretty consistent as, as we've shared best practices and, and plans. And certainly Dr. Petron can give a little bit more insight on, on the group that he serves on with all the medical professionals. Dr. Petron, you may want to mention that. Yeah, I can't give a timeline for other schools either, but it's We'll all be in um, compliance with the PAC-12 document that's out. And this is a as strict or stricter document that than we've had uh, uh, even from the health, local health department. So I think a lot of it will depend on the local community. Uh, but 
the criteria will never supersede what happens on a local level. So we might be a little bit ahead of some other states, but I can't speak for when other schools are going to open. If somebody does test positive, have you identified uh, a dorm or a spot on campus where that where that person would quarantine for 14 days? We have. Trevor, can you speak to the specifics of that? Yes, I, I can. Um, yeah, depending on where our student athlete lives, we have uh, some different approaches that we can do this. We certainly have a way to isolate our student athletes and also be able to isolate those that um, are maybe living with that student athlete. Um, you know, one of the, probably the number one thing that we may do is is obviously consult with parents and family. And if, if someone's local here, we'll definitely have that conversation with them and, and make sure that our student athletes and and parents feel comfortable with the situation that we have for their their isolation. Uh, yes, I think this may be uh, best for Dr. Beecham, but can you talk about why you chose the antibody test when there's a high rate of false negatives and that usually comes after a person may have had it as opposed to testing everybody for the disease uh, when they return? Uh, that's a great question. There are some issues with the antibody test. Um, most of it is because it's a very it has good specificity, but there can be false positives. And the problem is the prevalence is so low, it's only like a one to 2% prevalence. So even though the test may be good, the um, false positive rate can be high. So we, we wanna, the main reason we wanna test individuals is to see who maybe has already contracted the virus at some point and has been asymptomatic. But also the main reason we wanna do it is to do further uh, cardiac and potentially pulmonary testing on those who have tested positive. We're gonna start the test with a qualitative test, meaning it would just be a positive or a negative test. Um, and then if that test is positive, we do a further test to make it a um, more accurate test by doing a quantitative test or a, a titer. So we'd know the, um, the titer of the antibodies both IgM and I, IgG type antibodies. So if, if we combine those two tests and we it helps us pin down who might have been positive in the past, we feel like we can do further testing um, for the protection of the athlete, specifically cardiac and pulmonary. Uh, this is probably for, for Mark and, and Kyle. Is there a plan in place um, should some student athletes in various sports not feel comfortable participating this fall? And if so, is there a like a contingency plan in place, would that affect the status of their scholarship? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. And uh, just a reminder, you know, we're talking about right now. <laughs> and right now is the, the volunteer period. And, and as we see in any typical summer, some kids take advantage of this volunteer program and, and, and some join us when, when they can. But to the overall, um, you know, idea of your question is we're going to work very closely with any student athlete, their families that are uh, not in a comfortable place. To date, we are not managing that. It has not come up, but we know as our students return, uh, we'll work with them. And like we do all the time on, on, you know, on a daily basis, issues come up with any individual young person uh, and that we manage it accordingly. And we see no reason to, uh, to do that any different now. Um, their 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 ability to feel comfortable is very very important uh, to me personally to our to our staff and we'll work with anybody that's that's not comfortable yet. I should also say that we shared all of this with the student athlete parents uh, earlier today, um, and so we're just going to be very transparent and open to our plan and and we anticipate further questions, and we'll be fielding those as they come. 
Hi, uh, this question is for uh, Mark. Um, Utah fans' biggest question, obviously, is, uh, you know, <laughs> is this football season going to start on time? I know this is just phase one, but can you comment at all on uh, what, how significant a step this is to getting the football season to start w whenever it does? Dana, you're right. This is an important first step of, of many uh, that uh, are going to be part of the process uh, for us to, to begin our fall sports in the fall. And it's, that's why it's important that uh, we do it, do it the right way and, and our students uh, do it the right way and, and everybody. So obviously it's an important first step. And then the next step, uh, of course, is the more organized team practices uh, that will be later on in the summer and then leading up to the games and the various sports. But um, all of these things line up. And if the data continues to uh, become more positive as we're seeing in our state, and if everything goes the way that we hope that it will, uh, then I remain confident that we'll be able to, uh, to start football. But there's a lot of days and frankly, a lot of months between now and then. I think this might be for Trevor or Dr. Petron. Um, Salt Lake City is currently uh, remaining at an orange threat level. Uh, there is some there is some strong talk of it of it dropping down to yellow, which would be helpful. Uh, my question is, um, are these measures and bringing kids back, is, is this dependent upon uh, Salt Lake City getting to and staying at yellow, or could this go forward at, at orange? I can take that one. Um, the, the, all the steps and procedures that we have in place right now are conforming with phase orange of the state. So as we look at what state, what the state allows for this level, we're meeting that and we plan on doing that for several weeks. Obviously, whatever color the state is, we're gonna follow those guidelines. So uh, to answer your question, we are, we are in compliance with that and the color of the, of the, of the city that we're in will help dictate our plans. This could be for, for any of you guys, so feel free to, to jump in, but can you give just kind of a loose timeline of when this plan started? I know you guys have been planning for everything for the last three months, but when did this specific plan really start to take place with, you know, this brain trust starting to get this off the ground? Uh, you want to walk them back to when you pulled everyone together? Yeah, so it's, I think like a lot of you, the, the days and weeks are running together when you're at home all the time and you're on a million Zoom calls. But uh, from my recollection, it's been about four weeks and, you know, what I can tell you is that uh, Mark came to our group and said, you know, we want to get our student athletes back when the, when the conference allows it. We want to do it in a safe way. And we want to be a leader in this space within the conference. And so uh, really started early um, to get ready and, and really think that we've been a, a leader in the space within the conference. If this was addressed already, I apologize. I don't think it was. Um, are, are there any uh, special measures in place in terms of uh, cleaning and disinfecting whatever facilities might be might be used by student athletes during this? I guess I'll take this one too. Uh, yes, there are. Um, obviously, the athletic training room being a healthcare facility also always has a, a very high um, maintenance schedule. But we have worked with our custodial here. We have uh, looked at the CDC types of cleaners we're using, following the guidelines of cleaning facilities from that the state has outlined as well as what CDC has. So there's been a lot of forethought and preparation um, put in to, to meet all of those guidelines. 
Yeah, you, you talked about how you wanted to isolate the, the various uh, athletic department or the, the sporting teams um, and trying to keep them in the same dorm areas or at least know where they're at. Is, is there a situation like where you're able to um, kind of restrict these kids? Obviously, this is voluntary. So are, are you able to kind of limit who they go visit or who they see or what kind of interactions that they have? Like, are they supposed to stay on campus or, or what's that situation like? Well, uh, I, can, I can jump in and Trevor can as well, but I, I would say that, uh, you know, when it comes to our student athletes, they're, they're, they're adults as well. They're young people, but they're adults. They have lives outside of here. Um, our job is to do everything we can to educate them, to put, it, put them in the best situation possible to handle these situations when they, when they come into them. So whether they're shopping at a store or they want to go work out somewhere else or they want to go um, for some entertainment at a movie theater, our trainers and, and uh, doctors will sit down with them and advise them on the safest uh, course of action to live their, their private lives outside of when we have them. When we have them here, we're definitely going to monitor and take care of them, but we do send them on their way, and a lot of student-athletes live off campus. So uh, while we don't control every aspect of their lives, we do everything we can to educate them and put them in the best position possible to be safe. Mark, I know that these things are voluntary, but um, have have members of coaching staffs for football or or any sport really have, have they been given the all clear to uh, maybe re-enter their offices or re-enter their facilities on campus? We are we are working on that piece uh, as we speak. Um, we know that the first kind of wave, so to speak, is is the senior management team. We we came back to work in the office. We've all all been working, of course, but we're back in the office this week. The next phase will be the, you know, the group that's going to be around uh, the student athletes that will be returning as we just outlined. Um, very limited coaches involved in that. Beyond that, Kyle Brennan is also leading um, the next phase of this will be our all staff and, and coach return in pursuant to the university's uh, rules and, and regulation. But we are going to have a very limited group um, but that group at first will be the ones that are doing the work to make sure that uh, this voluntary piece goes the way that uh, we've been planning it. Kyle, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. No, I think that's, that sums it up. Again, thank, thanks to, uh, to all of you for your interest. We felt like it was very important to be as transparent as we can and just want to reemphasize what Dr. Petron and Trevor said. This is a living, breathing document, and as data comes at us, it will be adjusted accordingly. And um, it's uh, very important uh, that we continue to listen to our medical professionals. I know myself and Kyle are so grateful to have uh, the work output to be able to make decisions for the department. So I want to thank them both. Um, and obviously, as the summer progresses and we have more information, certainly make ourselves available uh, for another gathering such as this. So appreciate it. And there you go. That was the Zoom conference call with the media with Mark Harlan, Kyle Brennan, Trevor Jameson, and Dr. David Petron. We're going to go ahead and take a break. When we get back, Tom Hackett and I react to the news of Utah opening up their facilities. You're listening to the Crimson Corner Podcast. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? 
I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Back into the Crimson Corner podcast. You guys just heard the Zoom conference call with the media with Mark Harlan, Hal Brennan, Trevor Jameson, and Dr. David Petron in the last segment. And then about 20 minutes or so after the Zoom conference call, Tom Hackett and I jumped on the KSL Sports Facebook page to react to the news that Utah Athletics released. Welcome into KSL Sports Facebook page. We are your Utah Utes insiders, Trevor Allen, right here, Tom Hackett, just below me right there. I am the host of the Crimson Corner podcast. Tom is the host of It's Utah's World podcast. And we just got off of a Zoom conference call with with Utah Athletics Director Mark Harlan, Deputy AD Kyle Brennan, and also a couple of Utah physicians and trainers just talking about how they're going to reopen the athletic facilities moving forward. And so, Tom, first off, we know now that June 15th, which is when the the Pac-12 announced when Schools will be allowed to start doing voluntary workouts. Utah is going to follow along those guidelines, but they're going to be a little more more strict than maybe some other schools are as far as what they're going to do to keep athletes safe. Right. Yeah. No. It's a uh, it's a fascinating conversation, but it was good to be informed by the powers that be up there on the hill. Uh, Mark Harlan, the athletic director. Uh, Kyle Brennan, the assistant AD, who I believe has been uh, kind of taking charge. Of, uh, of of all of this and, and trying to construct and, and put the teams together. And um, he's been the go-to man, I think. Mark's dedicated Kyle that role. And then, of course, Trevor, Trevor Jamison, I should say, long-time employee up there. And uh, Dr. Petron, who's also been around for quite some time. He's the uh, leading orthopedic surgeon uh, slash specialist who... Um, who pays very close attention to the athletes anytime they need some assistance and um, and is, 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 of course, very, very good at what he does. So um, hearing from those guys as to kind of the phases um, and then, of course, for the media to be able to ask questions, Trevor, regarding uh, what happens if, uh, if a student athlete tests positive, what sort of testing will they conduct, what sort of protocols and procedures and regulations are in place for the athletes to best assure their safety. I know you did a, a write-up that we're looking at right now on kslsports.com, kind of debriefing everybody that, uh, of course, was unable to to be on the call, as, as it was only media members allowed, um, kind of what, what the latest is when it comes to Utah athletics and, and the student athletes and coaches, for that matter. Coaches will be tested uh, as well, which, uh, which I think is obviously a, a much needed and essential part of the process uh but you know trev i thought what was interesting and, and i don't know how you kind of wanted to get this conversation going but i'm curious because they're not going to they're not going to test for covid19 when the student athletes and coaches return to the facilities they'll in- they'll instead test 
uh, for antibodies, um, which, which will give them, I guess, some indication as to whether or not student athletes have, have had COVID-19 um, without knowing it, you know, the whole asymptomatic thing uh, can occur. And so, uh, and so they're not going to test for COVID-19, they're going to test for antibodies, which is, which is interesting because there have been a fair, a fair bit of criticism towards those antibody tests as false negatives. Uh, a number of them seemingly have been occurring throughout the world and, and throughout the United States. But that, that was the procedure that, um, that Dr. Petron decided would be best for the athletic department. Were you surprised by that at all? Oh, no, I, I wasn't shocked by it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just really pleased with how they're handling this and that they're being pretty strict about it, which is a great thing. It keeps the student athletes safe. Um, it, it seems like that they've been in a lot of meetings to, to look forward to this and, and really talking to a lot of, of uh, health uh, experts about this. And I kind of want to ask, with all of these guidelines that they're actually putting forth, and, you know, if, if you folks out there want to go check out the story, it's a lot of detail in there. But if you were to have to go through some of these protocols, procedures, when you were playing at Utah, what would you think about it? Would, would you want to stay home and, and work out? Or would, you, or, or would you be okay going through all of this if you can go back on campus and work out? Uh, well, I guess I've been pretty open uh, publicly about my, my lack of desire to work out. And that was probably uh, the beginning of the end for my hunting and football career now that I uh, have had some time to look back on it. But uh, I'm under the impression, Trevor, I think every individual, every student athlete, every coach, every key personnel up there on the hill is, is allowed to have their own say. And I think, they, I think it depends on certain situations, quite frankly. I think for me personally, I'm fortunate. I'm a healthy 28-year-old now who, uh, who, do, who does not have any underlying health issues, uh, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not overweight. I, I don't struggle with uh, diabetes. Like I, I just don't have any severe health concerns that I personally would be fearful of. So, so I would uh, return uh, if 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 I was still playing, and I would love all of the protocols that they currently have in place. I love how they've they've been able to orchestrate that uh, because. Because although I feel comfortable returning, I would still like to be reassured that they are doing everything in their power to to make sure that the student athletes and everybody else involved, health and safety is a priority. Um, now, with that said, it, it'll be fascinating because I can guarantee you, Trevor, um, and I can't talk for other teams necessarily, but I know from a football standpoint, right, the, the concept of voluntary workouts, it doesn't exist. There's no such thing for, for football players. Um, and it's not just at the University of Utah. This is across the entire country. Uh, summer workouts are technically voluntary workouts. They're not. They're not at all. If you don't show up to them, your playing time will, uh, will just randomly you know, diminish before your eyes. So I, I don't know if that's going to change. I really do hope it does because... Because I just think there are going to be individuals out there, student athletes, that have a lot of concern whether they struggle with asthma themselves, any sort of respiratory um, disease or or illness that they've had issues with in the past, uh, or maybe they're family members that are of high risk. And 
And so I, I can guarantee you that there will be student athletes up there on the hill and across the entire country that will have their concerns and might not feel safe returning to practice facilities. And I just hope that the coaches of those players respect those individuals and allow them the extra time and come to an agreement as to how they can make it all work. Uh, but I am certainly fearful of that because I know from, from previous and past experiences, there really is no such thing as voluntary workouts uh, up there uh, in the footballing world. So uh, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be... It's going to be interesting, and if and if teams and coaches and athletic directors and athletic departments, for that matter, if they're not careful, uh, they could find themselves in in a fair bit of scrutiny from the public eye if any of that does get out. But for now, I'm confident that the University of Utah will handle uh, all of this uh, well. It seems like they've done a bunch of research. Kyle Brennan, Kyle meant. Uh, Carl Brennan Trevor, I should say, mentioned that this has been uh, four weeks in the works for this specific outline, guideline, whatever yeah. you want to call it. It's been they started this four weeks ago, and that's where they've that's where they've ended up now. Something that I've noticed is that that when uh, media started asking questions, they were going a little bit away from reopening from from all this news and you know all the phases and all that, and they were asking. I know there were some questions about college football and, you know, whether, you know, the, the season, if there will be a season and things like that. I felt like that it, it was good that, that Utah stayed on the, the task at hand and that it was based off of what they were going to do to keep all their student athletes safe. And, and, you know, they have it really well thought out, Tom. I mean, we, we looked at this and, you know, part of it is that, so it's going to begin on the 15th of next month with all in-state student athletes football, men's basketball, women's basketball, gymnastics, volleyball, and soccer will be allowed to work out on campus. And again, this is all voluntarily. It's not, you know, they, they don't have to be there. And they're going to do it in small groups, and there's there's a whole other thing for it. And then phase two is going to begin on the 22nd of next month with out-of-state student athletes for those same sports. And then phase three will get underway June 23rd with all new student athletes that are housing-dependent for football, men's basketball, and all, all those. And then they'll they'll start phasing in all of the sports athletes beginning after phase three when the uh, department's going to go back and reevaluate everything. Worth noting, too, Trevor, that it was mentioned uh, upon return, upon arrival, student athletes will be working out in very small groups. Some will be working out independently. I guess that kind of varies based on the team you uh, you compete for. Um, and then depending on how all of that goes, and of course, they're going to segregate teams. So, you know, back in the day, pre-pandemic, you would share cafeteria space and, and what have you with other, other teams up there on the hill. That won't take place anymore. It'll be all segregated. So you, you, you'll spend time, if you spend time with anybody, with people from your same team. So football players with football players, soccer players with soccer players, so on and so forth. Uh, but also worth noting that that it's going to be kind of like a three-week trial period, I guess, is how they, they explained it. So they'll start with small group activities with the in-state guys, let the out-of-state guys come in, small group, small group. That'll take place three weeks, and they'll kind of go back, hit the, uh, hit the brainstorming table, um, and then and kind of review how it all went down. Was it successful? Was it not? And based on the first three weeks of practice, they will then 
determine as to whether or not they can start opening things up to uh, to a little more leniency, I guess, and and allow bigger groups to take place. Because of course, you know, we we know Trevor, if there is going to be a football season, the football team's going to have to practice as a whole. That's 120 yeah. odd players that are going to have to get out, surround each other, uh, slap each other on the backside, and so on and so forth. Otherwise, you know, I I just don't see how football goes ahead. Yeah, you're not really able to stay six feet apart when you're trying to tackle somebody, right? Correct. Yeah. Punters can. Punters can. Well, right? punters shouldn't have to tackle anybody in the first well, place. Well, no, well, no. Punters should, you know, be able to social distance. This is true. Yeah. No. In fact, Trevor, we um, we actually we've been social distancing really for our, our entire lifetime. So uh, this is nothing new to me. People ask how how quarantine's going, how's being alone, Tom, and I say, well. My friend, you know, as a, as a former punter, I've been practicing this uh, for quite some time. Don't come near me. I um, I smell. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I guess, why we're not back in the office, for one of the reasons, at least. Right, um, right. No, no. But really, and then, Tom, something else that I'm wanting to point out is that this will not include team practices, organized team activities, and players will not be working out with their coaches. Right. I want fans out there to realize that this does not mean that, you know, the floodgates open and that they're going to bring, you know, everyone together and they're going to start working out and they're going to start practicing. This is just voluntary workouts and they're phasing them in, beginning with the in-state people. But then also something that of what they're going to be doing prior to even working out, Tom, mm-hmm. and this is where it, it's kind of strict, which is good. Again, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to diminish that. I, I think it's absolutely fantastic, but all student athletes who are going to be back on campus are going to get tested for COVID-19. And then each individual will be tested antibodies as well. And will have their temperatures checked daily and will have symptoms evaluated every day. And then, and especially during that like two week period, when you get back on campus is when, you know, that all starts too. But then, you know, they're also uh, having all of the athletes who are working out together, stay six feet apart, wearing masks, you know, things like that. And they're also going to be cleaning all the equipment. uh, Right. All, all the time, it, it sounds like. And um, and that one of the things, too, that, that we actually noticed in there is that all student-athletes, coaches, and staff will be subject to COVID-19 protocols and standards. No exceptions is what they put on that slide. Correct. Too. So they're, they're really putting the hammer down. They are. Yeah, no, they'll, they'll have a questionnaire that you can throw in there for them to answer. I imagine the questions will include something along the lines of uh, kind of where you've been staying, who you've been staying with, have you or anybody that you have come in close contact with over the past three months been exposed to the virus, um, so on and so forth, and then, um, and then of course, temperature checks and you name it. They're, they're taking all the protocols, which is, which is good, uh, Trev. What they're doing is essentially um, establishing a stricter guideline uh, stricter protocols than what the state government's issuing here locally. Uh, and that's based on kind of the PAC-12 document that was released the other day. Uh, now, you have to remember that the PAC-12 consists of 12 teams, and uh, some of those teams, um, such as USC, UCLA, um, the guys up there in Northern California, as well, so, uh, Stanford and, and Cal's and, and what have you, they they are in hotspots for COVID-19, kind of big metropolitan areas that include millions upon millions upon millions of people. Uh, and of course, uh, it's, it's much harder to try, and, um, to try and keep everybody safe in that sense. Out here in Utah, we're fortunate. We, we have about 3 million people in the state. And for the most part, 
Um, the public has been following the guidelines set by Governor Herbert uh, and uh, and Dr. Angela Dunn and, and and those that have been speaking frequently to the public, trying to trying to help everybody out. You know, people have been listening. So Utah's done a good job in that sense, and so. It's 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 kind of a mess, you know. I, I think when you really break it down and think about it, it just, you know, Utah seems to be good, but then you've got other schools that aren't in a in a good place, and they have to be incredibly skeptical and and uh, and and somewhat pessimistic, if you will. So uh, I, I don't know how it's all going to work out. I don't know how the college football season's potentially going to start on time. It just seems like we're still so far away, and there are still so many phases, Trevor. That that all of these teams, not only Utah, need to need to manage through. As you look at this, if all the phases go as planned, we're, we're talking through the uh, first six phases, that will leak all the way into the end of July. And then phase seven, that is where students are, are supposed to be going back on campus, and that's where they are all required to go back to campus. That is August 24th, because it says with all student-athletes back on campus. Now, the uh, first six phases are all for student-athletes, but now, Tom, I know that Mark Harlan wasn't able to talk or didn't talk about it, but I know he's talked about it in the past. But after seeing of what, what we're seeing now with this, I know BYU is opening up some of, you know, allowing some of their uh, athletes to work out and things like that. Is the cultural ball season going to happen this fall? I, I think it will. I just have such a hard time seeing it start on time because, you know, yeah. the days are dwindling, you know, and the weeks are going by faster and faster. And, and so it just seems so... So hard for me to wrap my head around how that's all going to take place. There are so many more steps that need to occur. Um, and, you know, I, I don't have the answer as to when it's going to happen. And, and look, I, I sure hope it does happen on time. I sure hope the, the BYU-Utah game take place up at Rice Circle Stadium on September 3rd. I'm an advocate for that. But at the same time, you know, I don't want anything to be rushed. I want the health and safety of everybody involved to be paramount. Um, and 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 so I'm I'm rooting for everybody, but you know there are so. Here's my here's one of the big things for me, Trev. That there are I mentioned earlier there are about 120 football players on any given college football team. Um, to put that into perspective, by the way, 53 players make every year's NFL roster, so it's more than double an NFL team. There are a lot of people on a college football team. Then you include the coaches, the, the staff. Uh, the equipment staff, the training staff, you know, there's got to be, there's got to be at least 200 people that operate inside of any given football facility at, at any given time. You know, the odds, and I don't want to be sound too negative and, and too pessimistic, but the odds that somebody, one of those 200 people with, with, with how much interaction they'll, they'll inevitably have, you know, the chances are somebody's going to test positive for, for COVID-19. At least one. I mean, you look you at that, think. 200 people, one person out of, you know, 200. Yeah, I mean, that, the, odd, the odds are, are pretty good for that. But, you know, I, I, I still think, Tom, that the, the season could start on time because what were you doing when you were playing at, at Utah at the end of May? Even sure. though it wasn't a, a world, world pandemic. Right. I mean, you, you guys just finished up spring ball, right? And then... You guys are now working, you know, summer workouts and camp's not supposed to start till August. Now, if, if something's starting to like, if, if we're not trending in the right way, come August, then yeah, you have to think about maybe moving the season back to October, November. But it's just, you know, the, the chances are there's going to be no vaccine by the time college yeah, football season starts. So, yeah. And like I was saying earlier, if, if at least one person tests positive, that'll, that'll prolong phases and, and events, you know, substantially, because then, 
you have to kind of go back to ground zero and phase one and start, you know, and part of the problem is, you know, people can be asymptomatic. So people can carry the, the virus, Trev, as we know, it's been well documented. People can carry the virus and, and not even know they have it. Whereas, you know, then they, they transfer it to somebody else. And for whatever reason, they get hit with it and they can feel it. You know, they, they have a hard time breathing. They get a dry cough and, um, and all, of, all of that. Uh, and so if one person gets it, that'll, that'll, that'll prolong things. I think personally substantially, but uh, but he's hoping that doesn't occur. Um, and and the Utah football team, along with all the other sports that, that will be returning on June fifteenth, uh, stay safe and healthy. Um, I do trust, and I do have a lot of faith. I must say, Trev, in the uh, just the training staff, the cleaning crews, the janitors, everybody that's that's going to be employed to uh, to maintain the health and safety of the student athletes. I do think they will do everything in their power and some to, uh, to ensure that, that the student athletes and coaches will, uh, will have their health put at a paramount. But I don't know. I don't know. It, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I, I'll say that we should touch on Trev. What would happen if a student athlete were to test positive? Do I was actually just going to bring that up. But yeah. So uh, what it sounds like is that if there is a student athlete during this process that a uh, test positive, they will then they'll be in quarantine for at least, uh, I think it, I think it said that what they're going to do is test them at, uh, during day three and day five. If they're negative on both of those tests, then they'll be allowed to go back to work out, but they're going to remove them from that group if they do test positive and then but but the others will, will still work out but they're going to monitor them closely to see if if they get the virus or whatever or, or if, if they were exposed but if they do get it and then even after day three and five test you know positive still then then they'll be uh in quarantine for 14 days away from everybody they won't be allowed back on back on campus until right then. Well, worth also noting that if um, if they're in-state guys, they have family members within the state. They'll have the university will have conversations with the family members to to see if it's okay if they go home, spend time with their family, quarantined in the basement, in their room, wherever it may be. If they're not, if they're from our state, it's a bit trickier. But they've already set up locations on campus, and they didn't go into specifics. By but I imagine maybe like dorm rooms or or a hotel room or something, you know, isolated is um is where they'll put it so they do have space on campus if a student athlete tests positive for the virus if they're from the state of utah then they uh they could potentially go home to uh to their to their parents there's two more things i want to i want to bring up and then we'll I'll, I'll cut you loose tom and you know one of them is and it's been widely talked about is that student athletes you know it's a little bit different as far as having them come back with, you know, the a risk of, of getting the virus compared to being a pro athlete because they're they're grown adults, they're out on their own, things like that. They they can make their own choices. With student athletes, that's not the case. You still have to have parents involved. Could that have a hamper on so many student athletes just depending on how certain parents are? Certainly. And that's part of the reason why earlier in the broadcast I was talking about, you know, coaches and and the entire athletic department have to ve- have to be very sincere and and very careful with their approach. Um, if if a student athlete does not feel comfortable returning to the practice facility for whatever reason, it it, it actually doesn't even matter what the reason may be. Then then coaches and athletic departments must adhere to their requests. They have no option because the world we live in currently, Trev, 
is one that uh, the power of social media, uh, the power of getting your name heard or, or your voice heard is is high. And and for a, for a subject matter like this, you know, that, that'll break the internet, or at least it'll break the local internet here in Salt Lake City if somebody on the University of Utah football team, soccer team, women's volleyball team, whatever it is, if, if, if they're essentially forced to return to their practice facilities when they do not feel comfortable doing so, then the entire athletic department and, and university will be ridiculed for it. So it's, it's, it's unprecedented times. There's no doubt about it. And, and I think the athletic department, the feeling I get is that they are handling the situation as best as they can. But, you know, it's unprecedented waters for them, just as, it is for, just as it is for you and I and everybody else that surrounds us here in the local community. So uh, I just hope that, uh, that everything works out. I, I have good faith that it will. Um, and, uh, and it's a tricky situation. That's, that's the bottom line is we're talking about a virus that is, is for the most part, um, uh, pretty scary and has killed uh, a number of people throughout the world and here in North America. And uh, there is no vaccine. And people can have the virus and, and, and the people that have the virus may not even know they have the virus, which, which really adds another element to, uh, to the whole thing. But you, you've got to start making inroads somewhere. And, and this seems to be a start, Trevor. I guess Overall, were you content with the presentation put on by the athletic department this afternoon? Yeah, I mean, it was very thorough. And, you know, something that I love that Harlan talked about was that he wanted to be transparent with us, the media, in how they were going to do this whole phase-in process. And, and you know, a lot of schools, you know, and, and programs out there are, you know, are just going to be like, well, you'll just find out when you find out. But the fact that they, you know, put this together you know, invited all the media on a Zoom call and then, you know, showed us a, a PowerPoint presentation to me. And, and it was very detailed on, on what, you know, what all the information was. And that's where a lot of this comes from in this story that all of you will, will read over at kslsports.com. But you, you don't get that everywhere, Tom. I mean, there are, there are certain schools that are just going to be like, yeah, we're just going to open it with this. But the fact that they're going to say, this is why we're doing it. This is how, how safe we're going to be. We're following all these guidelines and protocols. This is, this is how we're going to do it. But then something else that I, you know, wanted to bring up too that, that kind of ties in with the whole parent thing, Tom, is that there are schools out there right now that are already talking about where, where the ADs are saying that if there's a student athlete that doesn't feel comfortable competing or working out on campus or anything like that, their scholarship is not in jeopardy. And that was something that, you know, Harlan was asked. He said that he's not really going to address that right now. But do you have a feeling that that's going to kind of be the same thing with Utah? Is that is that they're going to go kind of that, you know, same route as other schools are where, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to jeopardize your, you know, scholarship or anything or give it away or pull it if you're not going to compete? I think it, I think they have to. I, I don't I mean, see enough, I don't see another alternative person. I mean, other than them just saying, well, we're going to pull, pull your scholarship if you're not going to, if you're not going to compete, which just doesn't sound right. No, and then, and then you're kind of opening things up to certain you know, civil rights cases, lawsuits, you know, it's, it doesn't seem humane, maybe more importantly. Um, and, and, and of course, we've touched on this, but, you know, every single individual is, is separate and entitled to their own decision. You know, like I was saying earlier, for me personally, 
I'm comfortable for the most part, you know, if I were to play right now, I've got a new uh, three and a half month old. I'm not nearly as comfortable as I would have been if I was 25 with a girlfriend, no kids, no real worries in the world. I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't care. But if I, if I had parents, for example, that lived in state that I would frequent um, every week, and let's say my mother or father was asthmatic and uh, didn't have the healthiest of respiratory systems, then, yeah, I'm going to be pretty skeptical. And I'm probably going to raise my hand and, and, and give my coach a call and just say, hey, here's the situation. Here's the situation. I don't feel comfortable. You've got to respect it. You've got to also understand that I would love nothing more than to come back and work out. But, you know, it is just a game. And at the end of the day, the health and safety of my parents takes precedence. And, and that's kind of how I'm going to operate. So I hope you can understand uh, and trust that I'll continue to work out, stay in the best shape possible. But I just don't feel comfortable going back to work. That's that, going to be interesting. And that's why we go back to what you're saying. Everybody's different. Right. People parent differently. You and I each have kids. You and I are not the same parent. We each have different values that, that we have and things like that and, and ways that we go about life and, and things that what we want for our, our kids. And so it's all going to be different. But I do think that, that Utah has the leadership and is set up well to be able to handle anything that really comes their way. Yeah, I think that was made pretty evident um, during the broadcast earlier this afternoon. And, and again, Trev, I think the only way to end... This conversation, as much fun as it has been, would, would just be to, to hope that it all works out. We, yeah. we don't know what the future holds, um, but it seems pretty clear that the university, as expected, has put uh, a ton of time, uh, effort, and, and resources towards constructing um, a guideline for their student-athletes to return in a safe manner. And, and we just hope that, um, that for the most part it all goes smoothly there um there's inevitably going to be some hiccups along the way but uh, as we all learn continue to grow and uh, continue to try and stay sane in in houses then uh, then i think it'll all work out eventually but boy i hope there's college football come september 3rd fans or not we need it we need a big time well tom it's always good to catch up with you again for fans out there head over to kslsports.com the story is right there regarding Utah Athletics opening up their facilities for voluntary workouts, phasing it in beginning June 15th. For all of your coverage of the Utes, head over to kslsports.com. Follow Tom and I on Twitter. I'm at Trevor Sports. Tom is at Tom Can't Hack It and also at KSL Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tom, thanks, man. Thanks, dude. And there you go. That was Tom Hackett joining me on KSL Sports Facebook page. That'll do it for this edition of the Crimson Corner Podcast. Make sure you head over to kslsports.com. Check out all the latest Utes coverage. And follow me on Twitter at Trevor A. Sports and at KSL Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening to the Crimson Corner Podcast. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, 
anywhere you get your podcasts.